0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Liveline. On tomorrow's Liveline, we're calling it Little Liveline because it's only open to listeners who are age 16 and under. And a lot of you, a lot of you have, have contacted us already with reviews, with stories, with songs that you want to perform tomorrow. So what we're saying to people at this stage, because it is very, very tight in terms of the 75 minutes that we have. If you have a song or indeed a review or indeed a little uh, recommendation you wish to make from television, books, don't do Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Everyone has done it. Uh, books, uh, movies, uh, games or whatever. Would you just do, do us a WhatsApp on 87 184-3709. Put your name uh, and number, obviously, at the start. 087-184-3709. Try and keep it to about a minute, and we'll do our best to squeeze as many of you in tomorrow, be reviewing books. Now, we're back to our second day of uh, self-published books, and again, another absolute treasury uh, of books, beginning beginning with uh, music and um, a book uh, about Kate Bush, an illustrated journey through five decades of the music of Kate Bush and it's uh, compiled by Michael Bourne. Michael, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Finding Kate. Why Why did you do this? It's a lockdown, I presume. Something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, myself and my uh, creative collaborator, Marius Herbert. We, um, our business back in 2020, March 2020, just came to a, a grinding halt because a lot of what we did was... Yeah associated with the events industry and everything closed down so that was the genesis of how the book came about and it's a personal project not a business project no it's not a business it's a project. labor of no. love it's a labor of love exactly. why why do you love kate bush <laughs> oh i could talk for half an hour about that joe but yeah I, i've loved kate since um 78 and what i find the most intriguing about kate is she's a private lady and she puts everything her heart and soul into everything she creates and mm-hmm. uh, in, in her music and how she goes about doing things. And it was something I identified with in regards to my own uh, creativity. So uh, when lockdown came, yeah, I started to listen to a lot of music and the idea started to, to form in my head that I could do a book and I could put my heart and soul into it and try to produce it in the same way as Kate produces her own project. And she is a superstar. What's she, 25 top 40 hits? Yeah, isn't it amazing? Incredible, incredible. And her mother, her mother, I didn't know this is from Dungarvan, you discovered. That's correct. Her mother, her mother is from Dungarvan and Wharf, just a a small village outside Dungarvan. So Kate has huge connections with Ireland. She spent a lot of her um, teenage years here for summer holidays and stuff like that. So the the, the family connections. Now, how do you get over the copyright issues? Because the the photographs are absolutely stunning of Kate and and there's lots of the... the, um, Typography is beautiful. The the creative, the design is superb. That's Marius, obviously. But how did you pay for all the photographs? Well, we the fo- it's it's illustrated, so they're all based on photographs. Oh, okay, they're, they're no longer photographs. We've changed them into illustrations. So essentially, we bought the rights from Getty Images for a great number of Kate Bush pictures. Okay, um, that was very expensive. But we we started this process by crowdfunding the book. So we sold it to fans, sold the idea to fans, and we got them to buy a book before we produced it. So we would right have the one okay. to be able to, to produce the book. And and then we bought the images from, from Getty's, and then we set about changing them. And, of course, if you see the book, you can see... Oh, that, well, the you, you've improved them. You've, you've, you've added great skill and creativity and colour to them. Does, does Kate Bush know of your obsession? <laughs> my, my personal obsession? Yes. No. Um, okay. no, no, but but a book has gone to her through okay. intermediary. She's a very private person, and, and and I wouldn't have contacted her or attempted. Is she to is she a recluse? No, no, she's not a recluse. No, she, so she just doesn't like the. Um, she never did the limelight, the intrusiveness of yeah. the media, and what she. And where would you where would you rate her in the pantheon of uh, oh, she, of, of rock stars? Is she? A, she, she, to me, she is. I love the iconic um, people like David Bowie and stuff. And for me, Kate is a female David Bowie. She is iconic. Her music is iconic, and she's still producing music 
we've we have to wait long periods to see uh, to hear the mm. albums because she's she's not very prolific, but she's still producing wonderful music. Okay, you know? okay, it's called Finding Kate, an illustrated journey through five decades of the music of Kate Bush. How can people get their hands on it? We put all these details up in um, okay, so up on Twitter. So, so it's not available in bookshops, Joe. We, we've self-published this, and we've created a website which is Finding Kate Book. Dot com. Find a cable. On, Great. Yeah. yeah. And on that you can you that's, can buy uh, direct from us. That's very and, straightforward. And, and we're packaging, we're doing the whole thing. Everything has been looked at. Findingkatebook.com. By the Find way, Kate after Book. after writing it, did you like her more or less? Or admire her more or less? More. Okay. I, I, again, yeah, I mean it was an incredible journey. I had to do a lot of research. I knew a lot about her. And, and I do have to give a shout out to Sean Toomey. So the kind of unofficial website for Kate Bush which is called katebushnews.com ah, yeah, it's, run, yeah. it's run from Dublin by a chap called Sean Toomey and Sean was a great help to me and an inspiration oh, well done well done, well, well done. So. great and again I cannot none of these books that I have before me today uh, would be out of place on a, a shelf in a, in a top bookstore absolutely none of them well done Michael Bourne okay thank, from Kate Bush you. to Michael Jackson and me Talita Linehan Talita good afternoon Hi, good afternoon, Joe. How are you? So tell us, what, what Michael Jackson and me, tell us why you wrote the book and how you met Michael Jackson and uh, your exchanges with him. Right, well, it goes all the way back to when I was a little girl growing up in a little village in County Cork and just being like a true mega fan. And okay. um, from there, I went to see him for the first time in um, the Dangerous Concert in Lansdowne Road, Dublin. That was in 1992. And then four years later, I uh, went on the history tour, and I actually went to 17 concerts. I traveled all over Europe. I actually traveled with the crew, and they would take me and my friend into the concerts early, so we got to watch every show from the front row. That was absolutely amazing. And, and so did, you, really did, like you, did you meet him, Talita? Not on the tour, no, but that was kind of my entry point into his world, and I found out about, like, follower fans who just traveled okay. everywhere to see Michael, and that's what I started to do. So, like, London, New York, L.A., D.C., Tokyo, Berlin, wherever he went, what, you know, what, that was like an event or an award show, um, I would go. And so I started to meet him, and then that kind of early phase culminated in um, visits to Neverland Valley, and I actually spent a day there with Michael in late 2003. Mm -hmm. And then after he moved back to the U.S. from Ireland, that's when I became really close to him and started to see seeing him very often, visiting him in his home, like going out shopping with him into the movies and he would call me on the phone and like give me these sweet little messages. And, so. did, you, and did you talk about Ireland, given that he spent oh, yeah. nearly a year here? Oh my gosh, all the time. He loved to talk about Ireland. He spoke so fondly about his time there, about the people he met. He adored like the culture, the mythology. He had a really special connection with Ireland. He always had this fantasy of uh, buying and living in a castle in Ireland. And I think he tried to make that happen a few times, but it just didn't quite pan out. But he definitely had a very special place in his heart for Ireland, now, absolutely. We, but the tragedy is not sh shortly after he came back, he went back to the States from Ireland. He, he died. Did you, did you see him in that yeah. period? Between oh, that's when I that's when I was really close to him. Yeah, that's okay. when I like those three years. You know, seven or eight or nine. Like I was seeing him all the time. I was really close to him. Yeah, yeah. And what, yeah. Was, what was he like? I mean, like there. I mean, that was a long period. So I mean, two thousand seven. I felt like you know that was he was a little more like um, subdued, and then oh eight he started to really come out of his shell, and he was kind of getting ready for his comeback. He was supposed to do a comeback mm -hmm. tour in London called This Is It, and so when he moved to LA. He was, you know, rehearsing for that and getting prepared, and he was really excited. Um, and, you know, obviously then, you know, we lost him tragically. He was, you know, killed and the in, front, in June 2009. The front, the front cover was, is of yourself and Michael in, a, in an embrace, mm -hmm. which wouldn't be possible today because of COVID, but it's a beautiful photograph. <laughs> and how can people Thank get their you. hands on the, this, as you call it, a real-life fairy tale, Michael Jackson and Me by Talita Linehan? How, do, how can people get their hands on it? Um, so it's widely available. It's on Amazon. Okay. It's also yeah. um, available in bookstores worldwide. You can get it at Waterstones. All the details are on my website, michaeljacksonandme.com. That's got links to everywhere you can buy the book. And have you been back to Ireland yourself? Um, oh, I mean, like almost every, like actually every year until the pandemic. <laughs> I came back. So I've been here since 2005. Okay. Um, so in, in obviously I haven't been able to to travel. Yeah, in Manila. 
Yeah. And I'll ask the same question I asked. Mm-hmm. I asked Michael about Kate Bush after writing the book and meeting him. Did you like him more or less? I mean, I feel like the first moment I like really saw who Michael was and saw his soul. Like I loved him completely. I was thirteen years old, and I love him the same. I couldn't possibly love him anymore because I loved him okay. absolutely. Okay. But getting to know him, like he was exactly the person I thought he was—just a beautiful soul, so kind, deeply compassionate, an elevated soul. He was a gift to the world. It's a real-life yeah. fairy tale, Michael Jackson and me, by Talita Linehan. Thanks indeed, Talita, from the United States. Back to Dublin now, and Richard B. He doesn't give his full name for some reason. Neither did he give his full name in his previous book. It's called A Flaneur's Guide to Dublin. Richard B., good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe, and happy Christmas to you. You too, many more. And what, what does a flaneur mean? Well, Flaneur, uh, Joe, basically, is somebody who goes out for a walk without any objective in mind. You know, it's sort of okay. an almost an alien concept today. And if you remember when we spoke last year, I had just published a Flaneur's Guide to the Left Bank in Paris, mm-hmm. to be sold by my friend Ali, who now sells uh, Le Monde in one hand and the Flaneur's Guide to the Left Bank in the other, uh, if any of your listeners have been over to Paris in the last year. Uh, so the idea was, and actually after your show, basically the uh, the print run sold out of 500 copies. The website almost uh, blew up, and uh, it was so successful. People said to me, "Look, you've done Paris. Uh, if it's good enough for Paris, uh, maybe it's good enough for Dublin." So look, over the last year, I took the same concept and applied it to Dublin. And you've everything in Dublin. You've Dolly Mount. You've um, Dot the Dawson Lounge. You've Donnybrook. Um, you've done on Crescenzi there in, in in the centre of town, and then you've people at Mel de May, you've uh, uh, Flann O'Brien, you've the, the pubs, uh, MacDade's, Matt the Trashers, great pub there in Pembroke Street, and um, of course this legendary Stag's Head. Um, but who was who was this aimed at, Richard? Well, Joe, it's really for people, I suppose, maybe visiting Dublin for the first time, or who want to visit Dublin and see it from a slightly different view. You know, there's plenty of guides out there to Dublin and they'll give you the names and addresses and the opening times, but this really is, it's, it's, it's sort of taking a contemporary view. Like if you look at the cover, uh, we have, it's a composite called Bejoino, and it has a combination of Beckett, Joyce and Bono together and Bono's rose-tinted glasses, sort of the, with echoes of Joyce. Mm-hmm. So it's also a lot of, you know, some of the people who've bought it, people who bought the original Left, left Bank Guide have bought the Dublin Guide, and they're sort of seeing Dublin in a slightly new way. Uh, I suppose there's also tips and insights. There's lots, lots of, like Dublin, while it has the reputation of being quite expensive, there are lots of things you can do for free, you know, not just the walks. Like there's obviously Griffith Avenue, the longest avenue in Europe. I mean, there's fantastic walks south side and north side from Malahide to Port Marnock. Dunleary Pier is probably one of the best walks in the country. All the museums that are free, like the Hugh Lane, if you take, you know, a lot of people may not have been in to see the Francis Bacon uh, studio that's recreated in Hugh Lane. I mean, that has to be probably one of the most interesting uh, places to spend half an hour in Dublin. So a lot of people even have said to me, it's a great reminder of things that they can actually do either for the family or taking the kids out or simply, Joe, as the Flaneur does, go for a walk and just take things in. And you have, uh, thankfully, you've included, rightly so, the, the great writer Sean O'Casey. He's, he's omitted, believe it or not, from some other exhibitions and, and guides to Dublin. Do you have the great Sean O'Casey there? And you have George Bernard Shaw, of course. And yeah. I re- repeat my request from whatever day of the week it was. Uh, when we were doing George Bernard Shaw, we came across the fact that his bin man, Pat O'Reilly, um, campaigned on behalf of George Bernard Shaw to, for him to be properly remembered in his native city of Dublin. And we're trying to find out any relatives of Pat O'Reilly still, still, yes. still around. Uh, where, uh, where can people get the book, Richard? Well, Joe, and just on that point, in terms of the people who aren't remembered, you know, there's really a good case like Maureen O'Hara. There's no real statue to her. Like Sinead O'Connor, people will have their opinions, and even Imelda May. I mean, it's probably high time that some of these people, you know, we have all the classics who are remembered, the statues of Joyce and Countess Markovich, you know, even Maud Gong, okay, there's no point. memory of her, so there's still plenty of room or scope for okay, Dublin but City remember, Council. But remember, Richard, Imelda May is getting her own bank holiday on St. Bridget's Day. She's the one who started the campaign to have St. Bridget's Day made into a... A bank holiday, so it's well, May Day at the beginning of February. But anyway, it's called a Flaneur's Guide to Dublin. I'm going to put the details up. Well done again. What, thanks, what, Joe. Where, where, the, where, are you, where are you going next? 
Well, I'm going back to Paris, Joe, and uh, 2022, I'm going to do the right bank, uh, which is the other, other side of the river, okay. as some of your listeners might know. It's actually it's four times the size of the left bank, but it has a lot of places like, obviously, the Louvre, Père Lachaise Cemetery, Montmartre, the Marais, the Champs-Élysées. So there's plenty to do. So hopefully, look, this time uh, next year, I'll be talking to you about the right bank. Um, and in the meantime, it's, it's like we're just going direct across the website. It's a flaneursguide.com. And okay, your listeners well will be pleased to know that the price hasn't changed despite inflation being rampant everywhere. Okay, it's well still eleven ninety five. so well it's a well modicum done. sum. Well done. Keep going, Richard. Richard B. Okay, Gene McGrath-Beatty. Thanks, Richard. Gene McGrath-Beatty, your book is called Over the Rolling Waters I Go. Is it a biography? Is it autobiographical or a travelogue? Um, hello, Joe. It's, it's a little bit of both. It's... Um, Autobiography in terms of the trip I made in memory of my father's exceptional career in the Merchant Navy in the First World War. Incredible, yeah. A hundred years on, I decided to revisit his first trip and his time as a prisoner of war in a German prisoner camp um, and his time on board a U-boat as a prisoner for a month at sea. And he Um, he was in Brandenburg prisoner of war camp. He was. He was from May until the end of December 1918. And so is, is the book an homage to your father? It sort of is. Yeah. Um, I, I, was, I was doing a lot of family research and I've also been a mother for nearly 50 years and so I decided a few years ago I needed some space and time for myself. So then I decided, right, I'm going to revisit Daddy's first voyage. Well done. And I did. I got on board cargo ships and I travelled around his first route. And you went from Europe to Africa, South yes. America. All the way the, around. And then that was his career in the Merchant Navy, and then he yes. was a prisoner on a German submarine, and he was, he was. held in Brandenburg. He was torpedoed America. twice. And um, also, and, and remind people, there is terrible sadness in this book as well, because because of the torpedoes, he was... He was uh, definitely, he was. Completely he, deaf by, 20, uh, he was, by the age of 28. Exactly. Um, he was twice torpedoed and then he spent a month on the U-boat as a prisoner. And every time they dived, the pressure damaged his eardrums. And by the time he was 28, he was totally deaf. OK, and I know it's um, available in a lot of... Um, we put up those details. It's available uh, in a lot of shops around Foxford and Westport. and uh, um, but Yes, so and, and all around Mayo and... Uh, Ballina at Denison's and also the lovely new Pangerbone bookshop in, in Ballina. And it's, and in, it's in, in Woodbine Books in, in Kilcullen. And then Charlie and, Burns Books, the legendary Charlie, Charlie Burns, Burns Bookshop yes. in Galway. OK, yes. well done. A great achievement in, in memory of your father. But it's much more than that as well. Though you would not need much more. Such was your father's wonderful, wonderful uh, life. And uh, God rest him. Thanks indeed. That's well, Jean- he, thank, thank you, Joe. Thank you very much indeed. That that all happened 100 years ago. Jean McGrath Beatty, and it's called Over the Rolling Waters I Go. Um, Alexandra Fontiel. Alexandra, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. How Uh, are you? Good. What's your book called? My book is called Ancient Irish Trees, A Reflective Journey Through the Year. And it's made up of... And it uh, it pictures the 13 trees of the, uh, the Celtic calendar, Uh, in the four seasons and this publication it's actually in journal form um, and it is totally for charities the rape crisis Mm -hmm. centers in the west of Ireland and a few hospices and then you do you you give information on each of the trees I have information on each of the trees um, a bit of folklore but many many paintings are in this there are are 52 paintings and 13 drawings and it kept me busy Five and when, years. Did, when did you come to Ackle, Alexandra? Um, I've been in Ackle since the middle 70s and I'm living here full time over the last 20 years. And I've done a lot of fundraising with my art, mainly for our local uh, RNLI here on Ackle. Yeah, right. And I wanted to do a project that had a wider um, recipient, uh, so to speak. And um, so. Um, that's when I thought of the hospices and the rape crisis centers. And um, the trees have, of course, seasons. They go through the seasons, and our lives also go through seasons. And so but, there is a similarity. But the last time I was on Ackle Island, I was down with the children at Keel Beach. I, 
What? Am I wrong in thinking there's no trees on that There is no trees on, on that <laughs> why, Joe, I lived for not? 25 years in Westmead. <laughs> and no... I went, I had a happy time traveling through Ireland, uh, sketching trees and stopping my car in, in the most impossible <laughs> situations. People well, they... beeping. And, but uh, yeah, and so th- I hope to raise quite a bit of money with and every this. every tree is different every tree is different yeah. and probably every but tree is different every day as well that's so, true and because because you know for a book to be a, a success a book like this every image has to be completely different otherwise people say oh yeah i've seen that on another page and i would like to pay tribute to the wonderful printers in knock who had an impossible yes. task putting this together and they did a fantastic well, they did that. job beautiful beautiful yeah. laid out beautiful yeah. paper have you a favorite tree in ireland um uh, well, where I live, I see a few pine trees, and I, I salute them on my way out of Echo. Okay. Between here and Mulrenny, there are a few friends. But as you say, every every tree is uh, different, yeah. and every tree is worthwhile. Well done. And it's... of course, the, the, what what I, I enjoyed most actually with this project was researching the poetry, mm. the old uh, Irish poetry, which is so so uh, descriptive. And well, and it's yeah. beautifully presented as well. It's called Ancient Irish Trees: A Reflective Journey Through the Year yeah. by Alexandra Von Thiel, and uh, it's it's available in the west of Ireland. It's available in Knock. It's published by Ackle Art Press, and we put up and more details. Um, yeah, your your re- sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Your researcher has uh, all, all the, the venues de- where you, where you can get the get. book. Okay, well done, well done. Okay, Alexandra. thank you very Thanks much. Thanks again. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, that's uh, Alexandra with loads more books after this break joe at rte.ie talk to joe on 0818 715 815 talk to joe on 0818 715 815 i'm continuing through just I, I we won't get through every book by by a long stretch unfortunately short tales from high schools high stools a collection of pint-sized stories from west kerry by dennis ryan a great story storyteller and the stories are the essence of good storytelling the brevity and the wit and the insight and uh, it's a lovely book to sit down with beside the fire and just leaf through whatever sequence you want short tales from high stools by dennis ryan and uh, again great social history ireland's loss Britain's gain. Irish nurses in Britain, Nightingale to Millennium. Now, this is, again, I, such an important book. The book uh, compiles, for the first time, a record of the impact of Irish nurses on the British Health Service. The phenomenon apparently is traced back to Florence Nightingale uh, right through to 2021. Uh, social demographics in Ireland, limited career opportunity gave impetus for, impetus for young Irish women and men to enter nursing by seeking training and work in Britain. It's uh, called Ireland's Loss, Britain's Gain. There, look at it. It's over 300 pages by Ethel Corduff. Really, really well researched and put together. Glories of the Curragh by Don Kelly. Um, it's based on a poem, as you know, called Glories of the Curragh and encapsulates much of the historical and sporting events and personalities with the renowned area. Um, triumphs, tragedies, glories, despairs. Of course, there's the, um, the Curragh race course. There's uh, the Curragh camp. There's uh, towns and that just on the uh, outskirts of the Dan Donnelly's hollow, isn't there? And there's, a, 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 again, if I could just, and the movies that were made there, the, the Braveheart is mentioned as well. So that's called Glories of the Cora, Don Kelly, and again, it's self-published. Carrick Macross, Lace, The Lace with a Twist by Mary O'Neill, a traditional craft for 200 years. Now, the difference with this book is, it is, it has patterns. It is a... I've never seen one before, but it is a traditional... It's it's a workbook, I suppose is the best way. It's a workbook. It shows you the method of work, uh, how, you, for example, shamrocks galore in applique, um, and they go through 
detail after detail. You start start at S1, finish at F1, working through the veins and bars where it indicated. I haven't a clue what that's about, but anyone interested in it, there's flower projects, there's, as I say, patrons right through and hint, it's, uh, hints and tips. It's an incredible skill. It is an incredible skill. But they say it's aimed now. This book, uh, Carrick Macross Lace, The Lace with a Twist by Mary O'Neill, is aimed at uh, beginners to keep this magnificent, enchanting craft uh, going on our island. Jasmine Harding. Jasmine, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Again, thank another, you. Thank uh, you very much. <laughs> another thank you for what you've done. You've, you've compiled a complete guide to the butterflies of Ireland. Do we not, do we not have one already? Um, we, we do, but there's no book like this in the, in the sense that this book has photographs of every life stage of every species. So I bred all the species in the book so I could obtain the photographs of the egg, the caterpillar, the chrysalis and the adult butterfly. Um, there was a lot of travel involved in the book. There's a site guide at the back with 43 of the best places in Ireland to see butterflies so people can check out their area to see what's available in those areas. And there's a full species list with each area. So I, it, it's, it's quite a unique book. It sure um, is. It sure it's, is. It's very comprehensive and I think people really love the photographs, which I was very pleased with. Cause they're, <laughs> oh, they're beautiful. And not the, easy e- to get. <laughs> even the, paper, the, the beautiful high, high quality paper you use as well. By the way, how many, how many species of butterfly are there in Ireland? We have, we have 35 species. We have 32 that are resident here year round. And we have three regular migrants, although one of those, the one adorning the front cover, the Red Admiral, beautiful scarlet on black, that's beginning with climate change, that's beginning to become a resident. It used to leave Ireland in in autumn, but they're now hanging around in warm coastal locations for the whole year, like at Hoth, for example. And they're now breeding there. They're managing to survive the cold. Where where would they have flown from previously? They, they would have flown from Southern Europe, like the Painted Lady Butterfly and the Clouded Jello. How long would it take a butterfly, take a butterfly to, to fly from Malaga to Dublin Airport? Uh, <laughs> depends <laughs> on the following wind. Uh, you know, dep- if the wind is in yeah. their favour, they can get there in a, uh, in a couple of days. I mean, they, there, was, there's, there are records of butterflies flying from central Spain to Ireland in Incredible. maybe a week. Incredible. And obviously... They, a lot of species don't live that long, so they don't have weeks to get here. They, they need to get here quickly. Well, how long does a long and average does a butterfly live for? Um, the lifespan of an adult butterfly ranges from about four or five days to up to a year. The brimstone butterfly can live a year. In fact, that butterfly can live so long it can mm-hmm. actually survive to see its own offspring take to the wing. So it's quite a unique butterfly that spends the winter. As an adult, it, it hibernates in clumps of holly and ivy. Beautiful butterfly. So the male has daffodil yellow wings. And when I see that every spring, I, I, the heart lifts. I know spring is here. By the way, do butterflies see their young? Um, they do in the sense... Well, that one, that one can actually see its young become adults. It, it can because live for some of them live, live for But only lives for five days. Don't. Yeah, but generally they don't. No, they, 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 they see their own eggs and that's, that's it, really. Their lifespan is, is pretty short. And on top of that, too, the predation levels are enormous. I mean, uh, if a female, a female butterfly might lay hundreds of eggs and three might become adult butterflies. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're important in the And ecosystem. who's their main predator, birds or...? Uh, they, they, a lot, probably, probably other insects. Yeah. Probably other insects. But so there's I no mean, such thing as a butterfly family. Um, there, there are. You know, in, in, in Mammy, Daddy and two, two three oh, baby no, no, butterflies no, no, going no, no, no. to and the Bull Island on a Sunday in a car. No. <laughs> no, and the, the mating habits are, of different species are, are, can be very strange. Even within a species, there's a butterfly called the specklewood. And if the, if the population density is low, the females will actually flash their eyelashes at males. To, to attract attention. But when there's a high population density, they actually behave in the opposite way. They actually behave really evasively. They fly away from males at so great speed. They'd, they'd even fling themselves into so vegetation to so pretend so to be cop, dead. That's Copperface Jackson on Monday night, for God's sake, Jasmine. That's now the analogy I be, had in mind as Jasmine, well. You know, you should when there isn't so much talent available, you just <laughs> you take what you can get. <laughs> you should be so proud of this book. You really you, should. Thank you. 
Um, I don't know. How do people get their hands on it? And it's 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 a it's a once in a lifetime purchase. It's so important. It really it's, is. Um, well, it's a, it's available directly from me if you email me at jesmondmharding at gmail dot com. Okay. And also, there are a number of bookshops that are taking Hodges figures in. Fabulous, fabulous. You'd spend a day in that place in, yeah. in Dawson Street. Oh, well done for getting it in there. Tennis Bookshop, Barker and Jones, Nace, Maynooth Bookshop, lovely okay. place to, to, to visit. That email again is Jesmond M. M. Harding at gmail.com. That's for it's Jez, Jesmond. Jesmond, yes. Um, not not well, Desmond, Jesmond, Jesmond. J. Okay. At, um, okay. My mother's from Malta, so that's the. Um, and your your book is dedicated to your mother, Jane. I, I de- and yeah, your dad and she's, as well. she's listening now, and she's. Um, oh, I could tell to you. Say, to say she's proud of me, I'm I'm proud of her. I'm, I, I, owe, I, owe, I owe her so much. And my dad, Charles, who died, he died when he was well, just my age. So. He died at 57. I'm 56, actually. So well done. He, well, he didn't a, live to see it. So it's I'm, a I'm, magnificent achievement. It really is. Can, um, I, can I just thank somebody, Joe, yeah, while I'm well, on? I want, yeah. to thank, I want to thank Walsh Colour Printers in Castle Island, who did a magnificent job. Yeah. You can see it's a lovely <laughs> production. Beautiful And production. also I want to thank uh, Richie Mulholland from Inkjet World Printers in Maynooth, who typeset the book. And I don't know how he's put up with me, but... Yeah. It's, it's extraordinarily way laid out. You get the species, you get uh, where you the, the the lifespan from egg to larva to adult to puppets going back puppet larva egg adults and that's the sequence and you get a beautiful photograph and then you get a list of the locations and and how they mate and how they survive and how long they survive for. Well yeah. done, Jasmine. Well Thanks done. Thanks very much, well Joe. Joe one final one final yes? point. Most people have a garden. There's a gardening section in the book about how to attract butterflies to your garden. Conservation is so important nowadays. They need all the help they can get. If you tried to follow some of the advice in the gardening section, we'd have far more interesting green spaces than we do. Okay, Jasmine, thanks. Thanks indeed. God bless bless you. And well done, you. Uh, changing, Changing tack completely. Douglas Dalby. Douglas, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. How are you? Good. It's good called. Afternoon. Good afternoon to you. It's called the rise and fall of an IRA commander. Uh, it's called Up Like a Bird, and it's about uh, Brendan Hughes. Now, Brendan Hughes. Just there's a number of Brendan Hughes associated, obviously, with the uh, the IRA up north. But this mm. is Brendan Hughes from Tyrone, not from Belfast. Just to be clear, and he was the man who organised this uh, legendary helicopter escape from Mount Joy when he hijacked basically a helicopter and he the, the pilot was uh, at gunpoint forced to land in the exercise yard in Mount Joy in, in the 1970s and uh, Kevin Mallon, Seamus Toomey and J.B. O'Hagan, the leaders of the IRA, were, were whisked away to Baldoyle uh, race course. How did, how, did you, um, how did you come across this? Again, another piece of history. Yeah, Joe. Uh, well, I suppose I've been a journalist for long enough, and every journalist loves a scoop. Uh, and even after fifty years, uh, I, I recognised a scoop when I when I was approached with this. I never heard of Brendan Hughes, to be honest. Though not that Brendan Hughes, obviously the other one I heard, I had heard of. And but I did know about the helicopter escape, and I knew subsequently about the Port Leash escape the following year too. Which he was heavily, heavily involved in, yeah. Yeah, it transpired that the same man was involved in both escapes, uh, and not just involved, but actually orchestrated, masterminded, and executed them. Uh, and then, strangely enough, you know, I'd never heard of him, and I was that that intrigued me right from the beginning. And so, did Brendan Hughes approach you? No, a third party, a friend third party. of ours, okay. a mutual friend approached. Now, he, then he fell out with the IRA. What happened? Yeah, what happened there was there, there was a, I suppose, 75. He'd been a young man when he he went into the organisation out of the civil rights uh, in Tyrone. And he had been there. No, no one thought the, the conflict or the war would last that long. And he was a plasterer one day and he rose through the ranks and what struck me was the, the, the kind of breakneck speed at which they operated and mm-hmm. the amount of bank robberies and uh, firefights for the British Army. It was almost daily. And he never slept in the same bed for maybe five, six years. And at this stage, uh, he just he decided he needed a break. And uh, when he went to look for a break, they, they gave him 
the the IRA gave him okay three hundred quid and off you go, mm-hmm. and he felt hard done by uh, because he'd raised, as he said, raised um, the guts of a million, I suppose, at that stage, and uh, so he engineered a robbery uh, for his own benefit, and uh, then he went to America. And uh, they sent a hit squad after him to execute him because they were afraid he was going to set up a splinter movement. It was a time of the uh, the, the second ceasefire, I suppose, mm-hmm. and the INLA were uh, just about to be uh, born, for want of a better word. And uh, I think they were afraid he was just too valuable and he as a fundraiser. And if he if he helped he start engineer a, a split... He start fundraising uh, for himself. And don't well, this, the, the, don't the fundraising what? might have been for a splinter organisation. Okay. But, where, but of where, course, where, he wasn't going there. And where is he now, so to speak? He's, he's, in, he's walking walking the hills, and uh, he's in his early 70s, and he's hale and hearty and in good health. And is he in Ireland, can you say? Oh, he's in Ireland, absolutely. Yeah, and what did you think of him when you met him? Because there's some, some parts of the book where he talks talks about... Uh, popping it, popping an RUC man. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty I mean, nonchalant. Well, obviously you become immune to violence, I suppose. But um, what what did you make of him? I, I he struck me as being very, very authentic. What struck me was his lack of political ideology. I suppose when I met him first, uh, I, you know, and then it, I have a line in it: "These were no altar boys with armalite." Mm-hmm. But it did strike me that, uh, in actual fact, I talked to a lot of people in the IRA over the, the last few years, and they more or less concurred that uh, Brendan was more typical than most uh, in that uh, it wasn't ideologically driven at first. It was a reaction to mm-hmm. the uh, the civil rights uh, marches. And what had happened in the early 70s, you had the pogroms and... Then Jack Lynch's famous speech, I suppose, and then you had the arms trial and internment. But he's not, he's not involved in any politics now, that's your point? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. Okay. Absolutely it's, not. It's called, I mean, it's called Up Like a Bird for obvious reasons, yes. and it is it is a thriller. There's no way, and well done in terms of... Oh, it's a page-turner uh, a piece because... Of, piece of record. It, sorry, Joe, it actually reflects the tone of the, I suppose, the narrative that I was told. Okay, well, it's an ins- another insight. It's my bra- can I, I echo, me- sorry, one last thing. Can I echo the last man? Walsh Colour Print and Castle Island were terrific to us. Oh, they did as well, and okay. so were Hodges Figgis. And we were number three in the bestseller list in there. Okay, so. and it can be purchased from uplikeaboardoneword.com. Thanks indeed, Douglas uh, Dalby. Joe at rte.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. And Joe at rte.ie. Just uh, t- uh, tomorrow we're on with Little Live Line, as you know. Uh, young people under 16, they will be presenting the programme effectively from beginning to end. Nine o'clock on Christmas Eve morning is our Christmas Eve extravaganza. Obviously, with COVID regulations, extraordinarily strict at the minute. But we will be doing a panto with Chris DeBorg and Brendan O'Carroll and June Rogers. Uh, we And various other special guests, you know yourself, Kim Kardashian, Morgan Freeman, uh, Conor McGregor, Katie Taylor. And we'll have incredible music, Imelda May, Glenn Hansard, Red, Red Hurley. Um, the list goes on and on and on and lots of uh, comedy as well, we hope. That's Friday morning. And then on St. Stephen's Day morning, uh, which is next Sunday between 9 and 11, I'll be presenting Legacies. I've been doing this now for about 20 years. It's a look back with clips and interviews of people who, in the public eye, have passed away uh, this year. That's on 9 to 11 on St. Stephen's Day morning here in Radio 1. And then there's a two-part edition of Legacies on on Wednesday and Thursday at 2pm in the afternoon in the live line slot. Uh, so we hope you can join us uh, for some, if not all, of that. Margaret Griffin. Margaret, good afternoon. Afternoon, Joe. Your book is called Honky and Hugo and the great big pig heist. Pig heist, yeah. <laughs> and, and, well, first of all, I know you, you think pigs are very intelligent. Who's this book aimed at? Uh, well, it's aimed at 9 to 12 children really, but I've had a lot of adults read it. And they like it? Well, I've got great feedback and what so in, far. what inspired you to write it, Margaret? 
I had a pig called Honky that I reared myself okay. um, from when she was a day old. And the, I couldn't put her back in with her siblings. So I ended up having her in the house. Right. And she thought she was she thought she was one of my dogs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> she used to run up and down outside barking with the dogs at people passing by outside. <laughs> she didn't end up on the dinner plate now. No. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank uh, God. How long, how long did Honky die and live for her? Live for her? Uh, not just shy of six years. Well done. Uh, you, uh, p- p- you say, I know you say pigs are intelligent, but you also say they're, they're opinionated. What do you mean? Oh, unbelievably opinionated and, and think things through. I'll give you an example. When, when I used to get mad at her and I'd tell her off or shout at her, I had a huge concrete pot out in the garden and I'd go back into the house and within 30 seconds that would be heaved over. Gone. 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 Just because she knew it made me mad. <laughs> Have you? Did you replace Honky? Uh, well, no. I I have her mother still, and I have her companion pig called a Cooney Cooney called Parker. And Margaret, are you a farmer? Do you run a farm? I no. I'm what they call a smallholder. I just rear some pigs for myself and birds, and sh- I had sheep for a while. So you're self-sufficient. Pretty much, yeah, in meat anyway. And well done. It's called Honky and Hugo, the great uh, big pig heist. It's by Margaret M. Griffin, and details of how to get the book will be up on our Twitter feed in the next few minutes. Thanks indeed, Margaret. A few more books from the box here that we won't get time to go to. Drum Shambo, a collection of 25 short stories and vignettes narrated in a boy's voice. A naturalistic depiction of life in Drumshambo in the late uh, 70s and early uh, 80s. And it's by Connor McManus. And again, uh, there's great tradition. Uh, Brian Layden, Vincent Woods, an incredible tradition. And indeed, Seamus O'Rourke, who hates Christmas, by the way. Um, <laughs> he's coming in on Christmas Eve to tell us why. And um, But great tradition of great writing up there. And Connor McManus is in that tradition. Chocolate for Breakfast, short stories by Annette Dunn. Amber... Uh, publisher she lives in dublin um she taught spanish in ucd and lectured on the spanish short story and she's uh again these are stories beautifully produced and uh, as you say they're dedicated with a fantastic cover beautiful cover annette done chocolate for uh, breakfast john lawler john good afternoon hunting hunting on the northern trails tell us what this is about well, Joe, as it says, hunting on the northern trails, an Irishman shooting stories from the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, it's nice. and, and, and tell us what brings you around the world. What? Well, I've, I've worked in America during the recession from 87 to 90. I've worked in Ireland. I lived in Sweden. And my sport is that hunting and fishing. And it's a, a dying sport, Joe, at the moment. So mm-hmm. I said it's important, I think, to document it because I think by... 2050, it mightn't exist anymore. But it's it. Where, where is where is hunting allowed? Is it allowed? And in, in, you mentioned Lapland and North. Is it is it allowed in Sweden and? Yeah, and it's a, it's allowed. Of course, it's a very strong tradition of it in the United States. Like of course, yeah. You have the Hudson Bay Company, which was based on trapping and hunting. That that's what built America and Canada originally. You have. The NARGC is the biggest hunting organization in Ireland, followed by IFA Countryside. There's 26,000 members in the NARGC. Oh. And in in Sweden, they have college... For, I, I'm bad, my Swedish isn't too good, but Forest Bundy, it's a big shooting organization, hunting organization, but all of these organizations are... Sure, you have to remember are big into conservation as well. Yeah, they really yeah. put a lot of effort into it. Um, there's there's lots of lots of photographs of animals that you've shot. Yes, and you, is 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 that controversial? Especially well, in it, Ireland in, in these times. Yeah. Well, I put it you this way, Joe. There's a lot of habitat has disappeared in Ireland. Okay. But at the same time. There's been a lot of forestry planted. Yeah, yeah. And as a result of that, the deer population really has exploded to a big extent in Ireland. 
And as you know, there's no natural predator. And that's why we have deer in yeah, Ireland. And that's why we have so our, the only predator yeah. they have is the hunter. Now, if you go back in history, Cromwell came to Ireland. He had to pay his sponsors and he had to pay his soldiers, and he would, he gave them the Irish land. And lots of them were sheep farmers, but you can't have sheep and wolves. So basically, they put a bounty on the wolves. Yeah. yeah. And what happened then was hunters came. Most of them came from England, and the bounty on a wolf, from what I can remember, was equal to a man's wages for two years. So that, that's where the wolf disappeared from in Ireland. Okay, and it's an aspect of Irish life which I, I know, as you say, a lot of people are enthusiastic about, but it's an aspect of Irish life that not, not a, many people, I suspect, especially in the cities, might be aware of, but it is extraordinarily popular, as you say, and again, a, a beautiful production, uh, Hunting on the Northern Trails, so an Irishman's shooting stories from the Rockies uh, to Lapland, and um, where, where are you based, John? Where do you, are you based in I, Ireland? I'm based in Munster, in the Golden Vale. Okay, and uh, they can get get uh, the book. How did they get the book, including uh, posting? The book is available in some easons, in book cent- some easons shops, in book centres, independent bookshops, uh, Kochi Bondu books in the United Kingdom, and hunting and fishing stores in Ireland, and the NERGC have it as well. That's the National Association for Regional Game Councils. Okay, it's called Hunting on the Northern Trails. Well done, John Lawler. And again, it really, really stands out. The cover stands out. There's rifles and armalites and uh, sights and binoculars and knives and every accoutrement you need. Thanks indeed, John Lawler. Uh, 51551 and uh, back after this break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talking self-published books. Another great edition is from the shore, as in the river to Jarama, as in Spain, by Liam Cahal, formerly of this parish and indeed many other uh, labels as well, all uh, honourably and uh, very accomplished, uh, being carried by Liam. Liam, it's about Mossy Quinlan. Tell us about him. Hi, Joe. Good afternoon and thanks for the call. Uh, Mossy Quinlan was a young Irishman. He fought and he died in the Spanish Civil War with the 15th International Brigade. He was one of a couple of hundred Irish volunteers who went to Spain, as it happens, Joe, 85 years ago this month, exactly, to fight with the Spanish workers and peasants defending uh, their democratic republic against a fascist rebellion led by General Franco. And they're immortalised, really, in Christy Moore's song, Viva la Quinta Brigada. Now, Mossy was 83 days in Spain with the British battalion, and he survived five of the fiercest days of the war at Harama, near Madrid, uh, in February 1937, when both sides between them lost nearly 50,000 casualties. And eventually, only a couple of hundred Irish and British volunteers, among them Mossy, uh, stood between Franco and a quick victory in the war. But they rallied behind a famous Limerick man named Frank Ryan, and mm-hmm. they drove the fascists back. And in the lull, a few days after that fierce fighting, a sniper shot Mossy as he crawled out from the trench to rescue a wounded comrade. And he was a month short of his 26th birthday. Oh, so in From Shur to Harama, you live and fight with Mossy as I recreate his days in Spain. And your sources, Liam, this is what I love. And just to try and get people interested in their local history or indeed, in your case, not just local, but international. Your sources, Liam. Yeah, well, Joe, as I think you mentioned, indeed, I heard you saying it on yesterday's programme, one of the great developments now of modern technology is that so many archives are now online. And for many years, I couldn't have faced into doing this because the archives of the International Brigade, such as they are, are in Moscow. And to look at them, you'd have to go to Moscow. Okay. Uh, but now they're actually online. And you can you can go in. You you If you know the document you're looking for, you just click on it. And the document comes up in its original uh, wow. language, whether it's uh, French or English or German or whatever. And so all, all of the research on this book, Joe, I did from my, yeah, my tiny yeah. little room down here in County Meath online without having to go anywhere in fact and that's, you know? that's the part of the magnificent magnificent yeah. do you think Liam in fairness that has the uh, Irish participation in the Spanish Civil War has it been 
prior has it been adequately and yours is a great addition and uh, Joe O'Connor wrote a book as well and even the olives are breeding, bleeding that phrase by Charlie Donnelly and there's a number of poets as well but has our participation indeed on both sides in the Spanish, Spanish Civil War been adequately uh, memorialised do you um, think? I, I think it's better now, Joe, than it was. Um, and certainly uh, compared with 20 years ago uh, in Mossy's own home city of Waterford, there's now a magnificent uh, granite memorial uh, on the Mall okay. in Waterford. And there are various plaques. I know there's one in Liberty Hall. There's one in the East Wall in Dublin. There's some in Belfast, in Derry. There's even one on Ackle Island. Um, and I think what's happened is that um, as the 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 volunteers, the survivors were dying out, people began to realise uh, that they hadn't been properly memorialised. And so much more effort has been put in uh, by people like myself and by the late Manus O'Riordan uh, to mm-hmm. kind of capture their story and to make their story live on. Because, Joe, it is a very inspiring story of, of great courage. Incredible, I mean, when you think, incredible courage. When you think man. of Mossy, he was a young man, OK? Oh, he, he had been in the Fianna Erden and, and the, and the post-Civil War IRA. But, like, the, the men who fought with him at, at Harama, they were bus conductors, they were labourers, they were yeah. bricklayers, they were carpenters, and they were fighting against the elite forces of Franco's army, the, the Spanish yeah. Foreign Legion and the Moroccan troops from the Army of Africa. And yet they, they fought valiantly, and in this particular case, they fought Franco and his forces to a standstill, and they saved Madrid, and they saved the, the Spanish Workers' Republic, for a further three years before they had to, before they collapsed and had to surrender. So, yeah, I think the story is getting more widely mm-hmm. uh, and rightly known. so, and rightly so. How can people get your book? Liam? Well, they, uh, there's, it's in a number of, it's in about thirty bookshops in Ireland oh, well and in Britain. Um, I suppose, obviously, the, the Waterford Book Centre in his home city, Connolly Books in Temple Bar, Alan Hannah's mm-hmm. in Rathmines in Dublin. Uh, there's the Woodbine down in Kil- in Kilcullen, Charlie Burns in Galway. If you're down the Limerick way, there's Omani's. Uh, but a good way mm. to get it, if you want to go online to buy it, is yeah. buythebook.ie uh, forward slash Liam Cahill, and you just go in there okay. and it'll be delivered to you within a couple of days and you'll get a signed copy from me. Okay, well done, Liam Cahill. And gr- more brilliant research. And even you're, even I'm fascinated by the references in the back to the, the Russian state air archive. And how to, <laughs> well done. Well done, Liam Cahill. Thank you That's very much. That's called from Jurama. And it's uh, Mossy Quinlan's life and uh, legacy. Delia Duffy McDevitt. Delia, good afternoon. Hello, Joe. Thank you for highlighting this book. And it's uh, it's, it's about a, a relative of yours, Linda Cairns, and she was, a, a as you call her, a, rev- a, a revolutionary uh, Irish woman. Yeah. I, I met the author and publisher, Prino Dagnan, who had written several historical books in North Leitrim. And I had bought the book and read it and uh, about the famine. And I asked him what his next project was. And he said he wanted to write about a woman beyond her time. And I said, I have the woman for you. And he spent a few years uh, with tenacious oh, okay. investigation yeah. and he researched everything about her. Another, and it's a great addition. And Prunchies, unfortunately, is under the weather today, like so yes. many people. Um, but do, did you ever meet the remarkable Linda Cairns? No, no. She was she was actually died at my age at 65. So ah, okay. it was my mother lived with her for 10 years. Okay. And uh, it was because of my mother telling me the stories I was able to tell uh, Prunchies. And his daughter, Eve, investigated a lot of the historical documents in London. But I did what Linda did. Linda used to drive Michael Collins all around the country yeah. for meetings. Incredible. And she was a gun rider for De Valera, and she was with Cahill Brewer when he was shot. She Incredible. was a fabulous nurse. Yeah. And, um, and she ended up in prison. She ended up. She was, she was in five prisons before she escaped out of Mount Joy. And, and she was the, she was the first woman, wasn't she, to escape from from Mount Joy? Herself and two other women. Yes, incredible. They escaped out of Mount Joy, and uh, in uh, the thirtieth of October, founding member that, of Fianna Fáil. Yeah, uh, became a senator in nineteen thirty-eight. Yeah, and uh, when she became a senator, she actually was under the industrial and commercial. And she was part of the committee that got the cattle trade on between Ireland and Scotland. 
she was a visiting uh, committee to Mountjoy Jail. Um, she was uh, an appointee by the government to the Red Cross and she also got a Red Cross medal. It's an incredible and, woman. Incredible yeah, she woman. was incredible and she set up a holiday home for impoverished nurses. She was secretary of Irish nurses. She was on the National Council of the Board of Tronish, and she was author of Penelope uh, on the Irish Times, every Irish press every Saturday. She wrote... Um, knitting patterns for women okay. so they could buy the times they wouldn't have to buy the pattern and they could clothe oh, their children yeah, yeah. and I just want to thank Prin and his wife Betty for actually when taking she's so dignan, yeah. it's called Linda Cairns a revolutionary Irish woman and thanks for recommending that's Delia Duffy McDevitt who's a cousin of the remarkable uh, Linda Cairns Robert Holhan Robert yeah, your book is called Turning Points uh, what inspired the book? Uh Jody, the, the reason to be created the book at all there is because I'm a teacher in a secondary school in Hamilton High School in Bandon okay. in Cork and we have a pitch in the school grounds but unfortunately we're living in Ireland and there's lots of rain and you know it can get waterlogged particularly over the winter and that has you know a negative effect I suppose on the students and that they can't poke around at lunchtime and you know training after school we usually have to make the trek over to the Bandon GA club so the principal Eugene O'Brien he suggested look we're going to have to ask the turf the pitch you know, it'd be a mm-hmm. huge um, addition to the school. And But at the time, this was last January, so we're in the thick of, obviously, lockdown and all this. So traditional fundraisers, they just weren't an, an option. But I'd suggested many years before, I'd seen a book uh, by a school up in Leitrim the student, where the students had written to retired Gaelic footballers asking them about their three biggest regrets. I loved the mm-hmm. book, but I loved the idea as well. So I, I, I presented this to the other teachers involved with sport in the school and they were highly supportive. And then I went to the students and I said, how would you feel about doing this? They were very excited by it. And they thought that we shouldn't just stick to sports people, that we should send letters or they should send letters to people from all fields around Ireland, successful people, ask them about the turning point. And that was a great call by the students in fairness. So it takes a hat off to them. And it's uh, incredible, the incredible list of yeah. people that you've marshaled. Um, in the book from people here in RTE, Dave Fanning, Dave Forbes, um, Dermot Ferreter, of course, Roy Foster, Johnny, the great Johnny Giles, uh, Jared Gilroy, another great sports uh, reporter, Katie Park, the wonderful Gary O'Toole, uh, uh, swimmer, but now uh, one of the leading orthopaedic surgeons in the country, um, and Neil O'Connor, Brian O'Donovan. It's an incredible list. Well done, and it's beautifully uh, presented. By the way, is there anyone that jumped out at you as a turning point, Robert, that could apply to us all? Uh, well, there there was a lot of, you know, one team going through the book, uh, and it is inspirational without trying to be, I have to be honest, mm. but one thing was just the importance of resilience. It's an o- overarching team. It's it's a thread in, in almost every uh, response, you know. But there was there were some very good responses. I mean, Mary McAleese is, is really powerful and hard-hitting. It's an account of when the troubles arrived in her mm. Ardoin mm. estate and the challenges that posed for her and for other people around her in the north. Uh, you know, there's, you know, lesser known names than likes of, there's a, a doctor Ian Norton, he wrote back and he's he was working with the World Health Organization during the Ebola outbreak in 2014 in West Africa. And he wasn't satisfied with their response. And he staged a one man sit down protest in their main emergency meeting room until he was given permission to get disaster response teams on the ground and to help set up beautifully illustrated the, the proceeds go to the, the your campaign for a new fo- a new pitch in the school yeah. which until the old one is waterlogged but it's called Tony Points uh, Reflections by some of Ireland's most famous people on pivotal moments in their life how do people get it, it uh, there it's at Hamilton Hamilton High School in Bandon so I presume they can get the book uh, from there yeah well they can order it from our website uh for delivery from hamptonhighschool.ie okay. or, and it's also in Bandon Books in Bandon obviously Hickey's Bookshop in Bandon uh, it's in Vibes and Scribes and Waterstones in Cork City Okay, we put, the, we put the details up on, we put the details up on the cover well done Robert Honahan Joe Thanks, at rt.ie Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815 Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Just, uh, again, another selection from the box here 
Brilliant production. The Human Rescuers by Animal Lovers for Animal Lovers, edited by Susan Mills and Art. And she's painted, which is extraordinarily difficult to do. She's painted the animals, uh, the dogs, especially in this book. And that's by uh, Susan Mills, uh, edited and uh, painted it as well, did the paints inside, did the paintings. Sometimes I see loads of beautiful poetry, so relaxing over Christmas. Sometimes I see a selection of poems by Pat Mulcahy, The Crooked Path, a forced collection by Kieran uh, Guckian, Patricia O'Flaherty, Baking with a Touch of Magical, one hundred with a Touch of Magic, 100 um, Magical Bakes, and this is one of the nicest cookbooks and the most accessible cookbooks I've seen in a long, long time. And it's all, it's basically all uh, breads, doughs, muffins, cupcakes, cookies, custard creams. Lovely, great production. Congratulations, Patricia O'Flaherty, the source of a 50 inspiring artists drawn from the Artist Well series. And it's, it's basically different people talking about their art and with examples uh, of, of their work. Again, a really important book, a really important book. The source by Alan V. Keane. Alan V. Keane. Well done, Alan. Um, Mar- Marty's Mountain by Anne Gardner. And Anne has written a number a number of other books there. Uh, uh, this one is set in the Knock Me Down uh, Mountains. And um, it's, it's accessible for anyone age 15 up. And as we discovered earlier, a lot of young adult books are easily and openly available and enjoyed by uh, much older people. Now, Dan Harvey. Dan, good afternoon. And the usual book is called Missing in the Iron Triangle, The Search for Private Kevin Joyce, uh, South Lebanon, uh, 1981 to 2021. What happened, Kevin Joyce? He was in the Irish Army, but he never came home. On the one morning in late April 1981, Joe, Private Hugh Doherty from Donegal and Mm -hmm. Private Kevin Joyce from Inishir in the Iron Islands. They both uh, took up duty on a daytime observation post called 6-22 Delta, near the village of Dinatar in the Irish Battalion area of the UN force in South Lebanon. Come late afternoon, when they were duty collected at a rendezvous point on the roadway, mm-hmm. they weren't there. So patrol was sent, and Private Hugh Doherty was found to be shot dead, okay. and Private yeah. Kevin Joyce was missing. So over the coming hours, days, weeks, months, years, and four decades since, Joe, exhaustive searches and inquiries were conducted in order to find Kevin and establish what happened to these two comrades that day. So this book is about that search. And did you know Kevin Joyce? I didn't know him personally. And why did you take um, on this project? The army um, that I joined and the reason why I joined this was because of the camaraderie. And there was certainly that in... South Lebanon and in the army in the time I served up to recently in 2017. Um, There were 47 soldiers didn't come back alive from Mm -hmm. South Lebanon. And um, I knew some of them. I knew their families. I didn't know Kevin. But at the same time, the army was so close and it's a a second family that his loss was felt. Yeah, of course. So, you know, since his disappearance, you know, it hasn't been possible to bring Kevin home. But each of us who has served in the Irish Battalion in South Lebanon, we feel that we've left a little of ourselves behind. And have you met? Have you met his? Sorry for going to. Have you met his family, Dan? I have met Pat Joyce's brother. Okay. And that was an unusual, uh, serendipitous happening. Mm. Um. Almost three years ago to the day, actually, uh, one early morning, I was in the foyer of a Cork City hotel waiting on a taxi to take me to the airport. I was going to London and I took out a book uh, not long published about the Irish Mm. Defence Forces during the 1969-1998 Troubles. And I was reading that for a while. And then I heard from uh, across the foyer from the reception desk, the night porter said to me, are you an army man? And I said, not long retired. And he said, were you in Lebanon? I said, I was. And he asked me, were you with the 48th Battalion? Now, that's a very specific question. Okay, so, so I looked up closely and replied, were you? No, he said, but my brother was. Uh, and what was his name? Kevin Joyce. Now, I was stunned and flabbergasted. Because as and I were said, you able to solve the mystery of what happened, Kevin? Um, 
there are a number of um, episodes and a number of events. And we, the army came very close to finding out exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the remains, unfortunately, remain in South Lebanon. Okay. Okay. Well, again, it's another great record. Missing in the Iron Triangle, the search for Private Kevin Joyce. What a labour of love and a labour of honour and and camaraderie by Dan Harvey, also a member of our brilliant Defence Forces. Um, Thanks thanks indeed, Dan. Vincent Murphy. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Delighted to talk to you. And your your book is called Goodbye, Kit. And it's it's about... it's, It's... Goodbye, Kip. It may be for years and it may be forever. But it's uh, Michael Kickham, uh, who died in 1909, as we know, a memoir. That's right. He um, he was born in 1861 and was ordained a priest uh, in 1884 and went on the missions to New Zealand. And he found there um, an environment which wasn't very nice because the Marist priests who ran the diocese looked down on the secular priests uh, those, they weren't a member of an order okay. uh, and the Irish were, were that and they ended up sending a petition to Pope Leo the 13th complaining about their um, treatment by the Maris which is a very long document okay. I actually got yeah. a copy from the Vatican yeah. Fantastic stuff and uh, he, he was related to Charles Kickham wasn't he? He was, he was a cousin of Charles Kickham the second cousin I think oh, What a family, what a family and he was censured by the bishop uh, uh, after a speech about the Fenians. That's right. He wasn't. It wasn't a, fee, a speech about the Fenians, but it was a speech about home rule and Irish mm-hmm. nationalism. And he mentioned the Fenians, which was a no-no at the time for the church. And, and he, uh, he, he then, then he decided to join the Jesuits in Australia. Yeah. Then he then he was back in New Zealand. No, he didn't go back to New Zealand. He, oh, he was ordered back. Yeah, he yes, was ordered yes. back, and he refused. And uh, he eventually got the support of Cardinal Morn in Sydney uh, against the bishop, and uh, he got to stay in New Zealand, in Australia. And it, where is he buried, by the way? Where's where's his remains? Because this is such an important book. His, his it, remains. Are, he was buried in uh, La Chacarita Cemetery in Buenos Aires. Ah. And to my knowledge, he is still there. Nobody brought him back anyway. And did he uh, did he die a priest? No, uh, he went. He came home to Ireland in 1899, and in 1901 he disappeared, and nobody knew where he was gone. And the title of the book is "Goodbye Kit." It may be for years, and it may be forever, which were the words he spoke to my grandmother when he was leaving. Um, seven years later, they discovered he was in Buenos Aires by a chance letter from a lassie who had just gone out there, married, wrote to a priest in Ireland who knew Michael's brother, who was also a priest. And the word got back. So at least they knew where he was. Yeah. And, he was, and, and did he was he, a teacher. He was no longer oh, a priest. Right. And did he have family, I wonder? No, he didn't. He, okay. he died a bachelor. Well, well uh, done. It's a, it's a remarkable document. It's a fantastic thing to do. Goodbye, goodbye Kit. Uh, as you say, the phrase is, it may be for years and it may be forever. A memoir of Michael C. Kickham and it's written by his relative Vincent Morphy is um, Eleanor Merriman there. Eleanor, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. How are you? What's, Thanks for having me on. What's your book called? My book is Up for the Match, My Big Trip to Crow Park. Joe, and the, and the, co- the cover jumps. Who's it aimed at? It is aimed at 7 to 12-year-olds. Okay, and it's and what inspired you to write it, Eleanor? Um, it's a mixture, Joe, of my own memories with my grandparents going to mass to go into GA matches, um, following my town around. I'm from Nace, County Kildare, and um, following the county team. And a mixed, a, a lovely a mixture of memories, going to different matches, going to training sessions, the hunt for tickets, and um, that's kind of where it stemmed from. Two of the characters in it are Nanny and Granda and a little boy and his best friend Maeve. And well done. It's a great achievement. It really is. Beautiful production. And on the back it says Dysle- Dyslexia Friendly. Yes, Joe. The book is for all readers, but it's very inclusive, as in um, it's, it's for all readers. But if you have dyslexia, this book will definitely appeal to you or the okay. reader. Well um, the font that I've used inside on it, Joe, is I very specific. That. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Specific. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, thanks indeed, Eleanor. I'm over time. It's written by Eleanor uh, Merriman. Up for the match, uh, my big trip to Crow Park.